God is good, amen? Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, we are in Advent. I don't know what day of Advent are we on, 10, I guess, right? Does Advent start on, like, December 1st? I don't know. I'm not a pro at that, but it's the Advent season. This I know. It's the Advent season, and so with the Advent season, our faces are turned towards the anticipation of someone notably coming, right? That's what the Advent is about, recognizing that there is going to be the coming of something important. When you are looking forward to a guest coming to your house, if you haven't seen them for a while, then perhaps you will have gone out and purchased some special groceries, some special delights that you know that they enjoy, so that when they would come, you can put out that nice table of food, I mean, at least this is what Italians tend to do. It's all about food and the enjoyment of it. You start at the table at breakfast, and you just stay there all day. And, you know, throughout the day, did you want something to eat? You're at the table. You haven't left the table, but that's how you fellowship when you get together with family that you haven't seen for a while you fellowship around the table and so especially during christmas time we look forward to seeing ones we haven't seen for a while we look forward to those coming from afar pastor dino on friday was asking where the magi were from and all i could think of was they came from afar that's what the Bible says. And I had my hand up, but he didn't answer my hand. Because he maybe knew I was going to say, they came from afar, Pastor. <laughs> but those that are coming from afar, Christmas can be a very joyful time. And, and we all put on, you know, you had the COVID-20. But nobody talks of the Christmas 30. And it comes with all the eating and the enjoyment. Christmas can also be a sad time because as you look at the table, perhaps there will be faces that once were that aren't there this year. And so then there around the table would be memories shared, funny moments, things that they said that now are enjoyable. Isn't it interesting how we talk more about loved ones when they're past and the funny things that they did and the enjoyment we had with them than when they're with us? We don't often say when they're with us, you know, you make me laugh. Oh, you know, you're, I, 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 I just chuckled the other day thinking about you. We don't say those things, and so Christmas can be that time of fun and an enjoyment, great joy, and it could also be that sad time, sad time. But you know what? It is a season of great joy to all the earth. Why? Because of the coming of Jesus. And this morning, we are going to look into a passage from Isaiah, Isaiah 11, 1 to 5, and I'm just going to read it. You can follow along in the screen. I would love it if you followed along in your Bible. And uh, I know sometimes nowadays Bible looks like phones. And I'm not judging that. I'd rather just know you read it than 
than to judge how you're reading it. Okay, let's read. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall... And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, and the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he sees or decide disputes by what he hears, but with righteousness, oh, thank you, with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity from the meek of the earth and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips and he shall kill the wicked righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins to understand this passage and to to get the scope of what is being spoken about here, we have to go back a little bit to um, Isaiah chapter 7. And there we see that King Ahaz is um, ruling the, the, the terrain. And uh, he is a wicked king, we know, and, and we're going to say that a few times this morning. But the Lord spoke to him. And the Lord said to him, ask for a sign of the Lord your God and let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. You see, what Ahab did was he put his trust in Assyria. He wasn't putting his trust in, in, in God. And God is saying, look, put me to the test. You know, we often say, don't test God. But here God is saying to Ahaz, test me. Let me prove myself faithful to you. Oh, but Ahaz, he puts his, his trust. He refused to look to the Lord's help. And he looked to Assyria for their help instead. But the Lord in all of his grace, because that is how God is. In all of his grace, when we still look towards our own means of strength, when we still look towards our own means of how we will find refuge, how we will find endurance, he comes to reveal himself to us. Even when our eyes are not looked upon him, even when our eyes are not fixed upon him, he called Ahaz to test him, and yet Ahaz did not test him. Sometimes you are going through things, and with every bit of what you are going through he is calling your attention try me try me and see if I would be faithful try me and see if I would be true to my word and so he said to Ahaz test me but Ahaz would not he relied on the strength of the Assyrians and yet God comes in and he says this but the Lord himself verse 14 of chapter 7 will give you a sign behold the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Ahaz, you did not try me 
When I asked you to try me, you did not look to me as your source of strength. You looked to the means of the people. You looked to the means of others. But always has, there's going to become one that is coming. And his name will be Emmanuel. And just by memory of declaring his name, each time you say his name, O Ahaz, you will be saying, God is with us. O Ahaz, you did not obey me when I asked you to test me. But my promise to you is, I'm with you. I'm with you. And so Ahaz and the people continue to walk in their own pride and go about their own way rather than following the ways of God. And as a result, God would lead them into darkness. And we see in chapter 8 of, of Isaiah verses 21 and 22 that these people would pass through a land and they would, they would be greatly distressed and they would be hungry. And when hunger would rise up upon them, there would be an enragement that would come up within them. And they would speak contemptuously about their king and their God. And they would turn their faces upwards, pride. And they would look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness and the gloom of anguish, and they would be thrust into thick darkness as a result of their pride and disobedience. They would see darkness. They would see gloom. Oh, but God again is so gracious. He doesn't leave them in that mess. Because we jump forward, and if you have time today, you could read it all for yourself, the account of Isaiah 7 through to 11. You could read it all, but we jump to chapter 9. And as a result of this darkness, God doesn't leave them in that mess. He gives them yet another promise. And we read in verse 2 and 3, The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as, the, as, <laughs> as they are glad when they divided the spoil. But what? But what? For unto us, verse 6 and 7, for unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. O Ahaz, pay attention, you are the king, but unto you will be born a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace, and upon his shoulder, and upon his shoulder. You think you're king now, but there is a greater king coming, and upon his shoulder will be the government. The increase of his government of peace. There will be no end, verse 7, and on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Will do this. 
a promise. Emmanuel is coming. God with us. And with that God who would be with us, there would be a wonderful Prince of Peace, a mighty God, a counselor. Always has you wicked, wicked king, walking in your own pride, walking in your own delusion of who you are, walking in the strength of the Assyrians. But Ahaz... Ahaz, after that darkness is settled, I'm going to reveal myself to you. I'm going to reveal myself to you, the mighty God. And then we travel into chapter 10. And when we get to chapter 10, God brings judgment to Israel. Are you wondering yet, how is this an Advent message? It kind of sounds sad a little bit, but it's not. It's not. It's really actually good. In that day, verse 10, verse 20 and 21, in that day the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will, be, will no more lean on him who struck them, but will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. A remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God. God himself personally defeated the one in whom Ahaz looked to for strength. Ahaz looked to the the Assyrians for his strength. But you know what? The Lord personally removed them because later on in chapter 10 verses 24 to 25, it says, therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, O my people who dwell in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrians when they strike with the rod and lift up their, had, their staff against you as the Egyptians did. Oh, this is too familiar for these people. They once traveled this bondage before. For in a little while... My fury will come to an end and my anger will be directed to destruction before the Lord God of hosts will loop the bowels with terrifying power. This, if you go down to verse 33, that's where I am. The great in height will be hewn down and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. One, What was once powerful, what was once strong, God tore them down they were strong by human merits what isaiah does is he paints for us a picture of a forest of many strong mighty trees within that forest have you ever stood at the embarkment of a forest and all you see into the depth of that forest is tree upon tree upon tree and in between there are mighty street trees and strong trees some that have been there for decades some that are there that as just seedlings but all you see is trees and and isaiah paints for us this forest but god comes and he levels that forest down and all that remains is despair and desolation oh oh but don't be in despair don't be in despair because something is coming out of that hewn 
uh, forest, out of that forest that has been leveled. And one time, several years ago, uh, on our street, there was, um, just around the corner, there was a tree that had been cut down. And I don't know if the people themselves, that uh, it was on the boulevard, if, if the people that lived in that house had, had cut it down or if the city had come, I'm thinking the people did, uh, because the stump was not removed. They just cut it down and there was about, let's say, a foot of the stump still exposed. So obviously over the course of the winter, something had struck that, that tree and it was diseased. And so it was cut down. But as the summer, spring came and the summer came, there began to be little springs coming from that stump. You see, the tree was diseased. The tree was sick, and so the tree was cut down. But because they did not go in and remove the stump and remove the root, that stump began to sprout something new. It went through the winter season of dryness. It went through the winter season of desolation. It went through the inclement weather of the winter season. Perhaps the storms that we may have had that year. But all those roots were going down deep. And when they were going down deep, they were nourishing that stump. And though that stump looked as though nothing more could come from it, it began to spring forth shoots. And by the end of that summer was another tree that came almost like a shrub. I said to my friend when we would go for a walk, look at that. You think that they would have at least, you know, removed the whole thing. And then each time we went for a walk, week after week, we saw this beautiful transformation of what was once a stump now had become a beautiful tree, a shrub, if you want to say. This shoot would arise from dead stumps. What was the shoot that would arise from dead stumps? Go back to Isaiah, and in our passage, there shall come forth, verse 1 and 2, a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel, and might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. What was this shoot that would arise from these dead stumps? What was this root? Well, Ahaz, Ahaz, you remember when I called you to test me? Ahaz, remember when I called you to look to me as your source of strength? Well, Ahaz, I am going to rise up from that stump. One who is greater. This shoot will be the king and he will be the Messiah and he will come from the root of Jesse. Do you notice that this is one scripture that does not say from the root of David? But rather it magnifies on from the root of Jesse. The house of Jesse, a family that raised sheep. Excuse me for one moment. A family that raised sheep 
from this shoot, from this stump, would come a great one who was greater than Ahaz, who was greater than any king that had been up to that point, and any king that would follow thereafter. And this king would come from the line of Jesse, which allows us to see that because Jesse is not the one who is often mentioned, it allows us to know that this king would be humble in nature. Because who was Jesse? But a man who, was, who had sheep, who had eight sons, his youngest would go out and tend to those sheep. His youngest would go and, and, and make sure that those sheep had, had nourishing grass to feed upon, had nourishing uh, plains to be to uh, receive their water from. And what happened? It says in Micah chapter 5 verse 2, there is a prophetic word from Micah 5 verse 2 that lets us know, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old from ancient days. Who is that one that is being spoken of but you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah? This one is none other than the Messiah, our Lord. When Samuel was called to go and announce, uh, excuse me, anoint the next king, he went down to Jesse's house, did he not? And Jesse brought before him his sons. You see, when God is going to do something, he doesn't always use what seems obvious. Sometimes when God is about to do something, he will use what has been set aside. He will use what isn't as obvious. But it is there. It is there all along. And, and, and God gave David, or excuse me, Samuel a prescription, if you want to call it, of what he was to look for. And he says in Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 of 1 Samuel, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on on the heart. So when Eliab comes along and struts his muscles and he looks mighty and he looks strong and yeah, this guy can rule the people. Wow, he's, he looks really majestic. Wow, he's got all that we need as a king. He's beautiful, he's strong, he's tall. And Samuel goes, not the one, not the one. And all of Jesse's sons passed before Samuel. But Samuel kept saying, no, not the one. Because God was saying, Samuel, I don't want you to look upon their face. I want you to see if their face is looking upon my face. Samuel, in other words, it's about their heart, Samuel. It's about their heart, Samuel. 
God, man's going to look on the outward appearance. Jesse's going to make sure his boys look strong and mighty before you. But Samuel, don't be distracted by his height or his stature. I see not the way Jesse sees. I'm not looking the way you're looking, Samuel. I'm looking at the heart of the person. And so when David passes before him, because Samuel says, but do you not have any other? Do you not have anyone else? Jesse never thought of David. Well, David, he, he was used to attending the sheep. He's used to making sure that everything was okay with the sheep. Surely he couldn't want David. Oh, but God had something in store. This shoot would spring up the one who finds his root in Jesse. Why? Because he would be the promised, fulfilled king. Just as David's humble beginnings were found in the field, tending to the sheep, making sure the sheep had shelter, making sure the needs of the sheep were met. They had food. They had the, the oil on their head to protect them from the bugs and from anything that could come their way. They had a pasture to glean upon. Just as David would be that shepherd in the field that would tend to the sheep, that would meet the needs of the sheep so the coming king so the coming messiah so the shoot that would spring up from Jesse would be the embodiment of this shepherd he would tend to the needs of the people because there would come forth from the shoot one who would bear the fruit one that would have the spirit of the Lord. Why? Because there would come one that was a shepherd to his father's flock. David took care of his father's flock, but Jesus would take care of his father's flock. He would be the true picture of what David was walking in. So King Ahaz, who was ruling and wicked in his way, refusing to look to God for his strength and guidance, would now see that here from Jesse's lineage, there would come a different kind of king. The king that God would look for. The king that would truly embody the one that would lead his people. The king that would be the example of what kind of rulership that God would want. He would be unlike any other king. He would not rule with selfish ambition or lust for power. No, not this king. This king would be an example of God. And this king would come and he would be born of the Virgin Mary. He would come and willingly empty himself. He would come in obedience to the Father. The Father would say, the time of fulfillment has come. It is now your appointed time to go. And he would obey his Father and come to this earth as that free gift of salvation. But he would come as a king. Though he would come as a baby. Though he would be wrapped in human flesh and though he would look as though he is human, he was fully God. 
empowered fully by the Holy Spirit to do what God had commissioned him to do. Why? Because he grew and increased in wisdom and in stature. If you were to read Luke chapter 2, verse 52, he didn't just come as that baby that was going to be, oh, Mary, did you know that this baby boy would one day rule the nations. Oh, we, we get mesmerized by the song. We get caught up in the song. What did Mary feel as she held that baby? But what did God feel as he sent forth his son, wrapped in the body of a child? Wrapped, all that power wrapped in the body of a child. And where was that child laid in a manger and who attended to that 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 birthing was there a doctor in sight was there a, a a midwife in sight there was no midwife or doctor to oversee the delivery but a man and a woman of lowly estate and they didn't even have a pretty place that that babe would lay no that baby would be laid in a manger and yet he was to be our king. And who would be the first that would come to attend and visit this babe? The shepherds. The picture of who God was appointing him. The shepherds who were found in their field watching their flocks by night. Oh, shepherd men, I want to show you the true power that your job entails. Oh, shepherd men, you're watching your flock now that the fox and the wolves don't creep in. But I want to show you the true embodiment of what a shepherd looks like. There they found he was received by none other than first his parents of lowly estate, but then these shepherds who appeared. But then we fast forward through time because now John is baptizing him and we know that Jesus was filled with the spirit of counsel and might. He was filled with the spirit and being fully equipped. Why? Because in John chapter 1, verse 33 and 34, it says, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, and I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. And what did he receive? He received the Holy Spirit. He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And so where did he get the equipping of wisdom? The spirit of wisdom and understanding and the spirit of counsel and the spirit of might and the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, none other than when we see the full embodiment of the Godhead there at the baptism. The spirit of the Lord comes to reside on Jesus. Did I lose you guys? No? Okay. It's just all of a sudden you all seem so 
Here is Jesus from the shoot of Jesse. Here is Jesus, the appointed Messiah one. And he is coming with revelation of the spirit of counsel and of, and of might. And where does he receive that appointment from? And where do we see that commissioning take place? None other than when he is baptized, once again, walking in the obedience of his father, leading the example to us. And there the Holy Spirit comes to reside upon him. And there we see the full trinity. God the Father speaking from heaven, this is my son. God the Son there in the waters of baptism being obedient to the Father. And God the Holy Spirit come and landing upon him. This is the king which Isaiah was speaking of. This is the king that would come in which we would see the, the spirit of wisdom and an understanding. This is the king in which we would see the spirit of counsel and might. What is the spirit of wisdom? What does the spirit of wisdom look like when I can see the end and know what I must do to get to that end? That is wisdom. Jesus said that he himself was the wisdom of God according to Luke 11 and 49. 1 Corinthians 1 and 30 says, And because of him, you, you, Logos, are in Christ, who became to us, what? Wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You are in Christ. You became to us. Who is that one that became to us wisdom from God? Jesus Christ. He is from that stump. There, that level plain. You're not going to look to me. I'll rise up to be your king. I will show you who I am. What does it look like to have the spirit of understanding? The spirit of understanding is being able to walk in that wisdom. That wisdom that comes from God. That wisdom that sees the end and knows how to get there. The spirit of understanding is the ability to walk out your wisdom. The spirit of understanding was shown to us by Jesus in Luke chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, when Jesus was reading from the word of God in the temple. And it says, And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast had ended, they were returning, and the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, and his parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in a group, they went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple where? Sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him, what? were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Why? Because the spirit of understanding was upon him. What is the spirit of counsel? What is the spirit of might? It's not something that you can grab hold of. You know, counsel and might is not something that you could uh, get a self-help book to do and then achieve it. Counsel and might is something that it, you are filled with. 
and you become filled with it according to Ephesians 3.16 that he would grant you, Logos, according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. So might and counsel is not something that I achieve by a formula. If I do this and I do that, I'm going to have spirit and might and I'm going to have counsel and might. No, no, no. It is something that is filled and is put in you by the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel 36, 27 says, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Do you see what happens when the Spirit deposits counsel and might within you? Then guess what? You get to walk in wisdom and knowledge. Because why? Ezekiel said it. I'm going to put my spirit in you. And I'm going to cause you to walk in my statute to be okay, oh, uh, careful to obey my rules. You can't walk in the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God if that spirit of God has not been put deposited within you. Because then your ears would not be sensitive to what the spirit of God sounds like when he speaks to you, as Isaiah says. Your ears will hear your vo my voice from behind saying, this is the way, walk in it. Isaiah 30, verse 21. When you turn to the right or to the left, how could your ears hear if you haven't been filled with the spirit of wisdom and counsel and might? How could your ears know? How could your eyes perceive the end from the beginning if the spirit of God does not show you this is where I'm putting you, this is how I am placing you, and this is the way you must walk to it? You cannot define to somebody else where God is taking you because that person has not seen what God has shown you. So be careful where you lay your pearls. Be careful to whom you trust God's plans over your life. Because he has opened your eyes to see because he, because he has granted you wisdom and counsel and understanding and might and so when he gives you the end and he says this is the way walk in it you cannot fumble with man like ahaz did with the assyrians you can't look to man for the counsel of strength you can't look to man to show you and say yes there's my stamp of approval that is what you ought to do no you must keep your eyes on god because he is the good shepherd. He will lead you and guide you in the way. Why? Because what did the shepherd do? The shepherd went and scouted out the land to make sure that there was enough foliage for those sheep to feed upon, to make sure that there was a waterfall or springs that they could drink from. When the shepherd would go and test the land, he would look to see if there were any foxes or wolves hiding or lurking in the, in the bushes. You see, when the Lord shows you something, child of God, don't be quick to share it with others. Be as Mary, ponder it within your heart. Nestle it within your heart. You see, at the end of that Luke chapter 2, 
where we just read a 42 to 47, when Mary and Joseph do find Jesus, he says, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I was about my father's business? And then it says Mary pondered this in her heart. See, Jesus knew what he was coming for. Do you think in that moment he could say, Mom, listen, I had to be here. Because, Mom, like, I, I, I'm going to die. I'm going to die for these people. So I have, to, I have to teach them, Mom. Mom, I have to sit among them. Do you think he could deposit that revelation to her? Do you think that he could say to her, Mom, you know when you were told that I would be the Savior of the world, it would require me to die? You see, in the spirit of wisdom that was given to him to know the end from the beginning, he couldn't just deliver that end to everybody at the moment. He had to walk in the wisdom and counsel of God. Oh, that we would be like that. That we would walk. You know that you are walking in counsel and might when you're being led by God. And you're hearing his voice. The spirit in, of fear and knowledge of the Lord. You know where, this, where the fear of the Lord begins? In the knowledge of the Lord. In the knowledge of the Lord according to Proverbs. Proverbs 1 and 7. The fear of the Lord is what? The beginning. The beginning, the beginning, the fear of the Lord. When you don't, I'm not talking about a fear like, ah! <laughs> Just waking you up. <laughs> Thank you, you're welcome. <laughs> no, I'm talking about the fear of God. God, you're so holy. God, there is none like you. God, who can compare to you? God, your strength is mighty. Your power is all-encompassing God. I'm talking about the fear in recognizing who he is and who you are. Colossians 3 verse 10 says, and have put on the new self, which what? Is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You get your knowledge because you're being filled. It's being imparted to you by the Holy Spirit. But it's after the image of your creator who is God. That's why there are many that are wise but have not gone on to a further education. Because God has given them wisdom and understanding. That's why the foundations of this world. Do you think that those who immigrated to North America in those early years from lands afar knew all the dynamics and all the engineering knowledge that it took just to consider the Brooklyn Bridge? How many feet down sub-water level? 
Did they have to go? Do you think there was a book that they cracked open? Do you think that there was all kinds of education? No, the workers that built just that bridge as an example were all immigrants, unschooled people, willing for a wage to build a bridge that would connect Brooklyn to New York. Wisdom, not learned from books. The decisions that you make will not be learned from books. The best self-help book that you will have this Christmas and the best book that you will receive this Christmas is the Word of God. And from there you will receive the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of counsel, and the knowledge of the fear of the Lord. Why? Because as you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, according to Colossians 1 and 10, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. That you will do in reading his word. But we have to fear the Lord before he could teach us. Who is man that fears the Lord? But he will instruct him in the way that he should go. And so we go on to verses 3 to 5 that says, And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Why? Because Jesus was to be the perfect king. Jesus was to be the perfect king who would be the anointed one. He would be the embodiment of wisdom. He would be the embodiment of counsel. He would be the embodiment of fear of the Lord and and of might. And because of that, it was only he that would be able to rise up as that shoot from Jesse. The one that is coming is different than all the other kings. He's not as we have seen painted in Ahaz, the wicked king, but his delight is in the fear of the Lord. His delight is doing the will of the Father. When the Father said go, he went or he came. He won't judge based on appearances. He won't judge based on what he sees on the outside, but he will judge only from what is on the inside. No, this king This king that walks in the spirit of wisdom, this king Jesus that walks in understanding, he will know what truly is going on in your heart and mind. You see, we can put on the religious facade. We can come to church 10 times a week and our heart could be as corrupt as anything. Oh, but Jesus, the one true king, he knows what is in the heart of man. And he knows truly the intent of the heart when the mouth speaks. Oh, you see, this is the true king that could rule the people, the one who knows their heart. Oh, there won't be one who will be able to hide behind that religious facade. 
No, no. He will be looking for the one whose delight is to do the will of the Lord. The one whose delight is, it was good when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. The one who comes to the church and to the house of the Lord with joy and with gladness. The one who knows that when they step into the place of their God, into his holy sanctuary, that the presence of the Lord will welcome them there. That as soon as those, those songs begin to sing, the first strum of the guitar, the first note on the keyboard, they are, escalate, they, they are imported into the presence of God as they are worshiping the Lord. It is those in whom he takes delight in, those whose hearts are turned towards the Father, those who are found worshiping him. That is why before we turned into the word of God, I said, let's just worship the Lord because we don't want to just sing a good song and love a good song it's got the perfect beat it has just the right words it makes me get goosebumps i get tingly i don't know what it is no we want to worship the god that the song is speaking of one of the songs from an old long time ago says i keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again i keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again he gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by oh what a love between my lord and i i keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again you can only sing that if you keep falling in love with him. Your days can only get sweeter as they go by if you keep falling in love with him. And you can't keep falling in love with him if you're oh so in love with you. If you're oh so caught up with you. Oh, but that root of Jesse... That humble shepherd that would come from that lineage of Jesse. Oh, we're not talking about the lineage of David, though it is the lineage of David. Because if we, if we brought attention to the lineage of David in this passage, we would miss the delight of who he is. We would be just caught up in his kingship. Oh, but this shepherd, this shepherd who stays with his flock, He's there when the storm is raging. Amen. This shepherd who stays with his flock, he's there when the rain is pouring down. Amen. This shepherd who stays with his flock, he goes after the one that wandered away. And when he finds it, he picks that one up and he puts it on his shoulder. And you know what? If it tends to be the one that just keeps wandering away, he will break its leg and carry it and carry it close by so that that sheep could know the voice of the shepherd because that little lamb had been close to the shepherd. Oh, you can only keep falling in love with him as you're spending time with him. And so that's why we have to look at him through the line of Jesse, because then we could see the humble shepherd that came from the shoot. What shepherd has a degree in da 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 See, you don't even know what that is, but it's a degree. 
What shepherd has a, has, has a doctorate? What shepherd? No, but that shepherd knows how to be there when the lamb is giving birth. But it's not a doctor. That shepherd is not a geographer, but he knows the land. And he knows where to go. That shepherd may not have his degree in horticulture, but he knows when a field is diseased by bugs that are underneath the earth that no eye could see, but he doesn't have a, shep a degree in horticulture. Oh, but he's got wisdom, counsel, and might. And we can fall in love with this perfect king, and we can know him. Why? Because you know what? He is going to come again. You know what is beautiful about this king? <laughs> he doesn't just come from the line of Jesse. You know that? Yeah. He has a lineage that Matthew speaks of. Have you ever read Matthew's account of Jesus' lineage? Can we just, can we just look at a, at a few points of it? I, I didn't give this to the people out back, but they'll forgive me because they have to. We are in church. <laughs> and so when we read Jesus' lineage, if you look at verse 2, oh, excuse me, verse 3, it says, And Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Oh, Tamar. Did you know about Tamar? You know the bad girl? That she was, she lied to her father-in-law. She pretended she was somebody that she wasn't. Why? Because she knew of the deceit that was in, within him. She knew of the deceit that was in, within him when his oldest son, who was wicked and treated her wickedly, died. God took him out. And then his second son dies. And, and, and uh, her father-in-law... Sarah says he's going he's gonna to provide for her, and, and she knows that he's not. Oh, you'll have to go out into Genesis. Maybe it's 38, and forgive me if I'm wrong. Just at the back of your Bible, there's a concordance. You look up Tamar, okay? And you read the account of Tamar. And you know what? She is in Jesus' bloodline because she's not perfect, because you're not perfect, and Jesus wants you to feel at home. Oh, you thought because you were in church you were perfect, right? No, none of us are perfect. No, not one. We've all sinned. And so there is Tamar in, in Jesus' bloodline. <gasps> Verse 5, Rahab. You know who Rahab was? Her name said it all. What was Rahab? Yeah, she whispered it because she's in church. <laughs> Rahab was a prostitute. You think prostitutes are only those that go and give of themselves in the sexual kind of way? What about you who prostitute yourselves to other gods? To other ways? To other things? Oh, you're looking at the one who's prostituted themselves in a sexual manner. You're guilty too. You're guilty too. Because you've given yourself to your converter, to your computer to your job. Oh! Everything that you could do. Oh, so there was Rahab. 
Oh, then we get, oh, good old Ruth. <laughs> She's such a sweet girl, isn't she? When Naomi says to her, okay, Ruth, go home. Go, go be with your people. Go, go home, Ruth. And Ruth says, no. And you know, P.S., Ruth was a Moabite. Remember those Moabites? They weren't really well liked by the, they weren't, the Jews weren't supposed to be with them. She was a Moabite. And, 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 and Ruth says to Naomi, no, no. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. She was willing. You know what happened to Ruth? She was overcome by the love of God that she saw within Naomi. There was something about the love language in that family that even though her, her husband had died, and even though her husband's brother had died, and even though Naomi's husband had died, there was something that she saw while being in amongst these people that demonstrated the true love of God, the true forgiveness of God. And she's like, no way am I going to go back to my people, the Moabites. You have to be kidding me, Naomi. I'm going to go with you to Bethlehem. You, oh Bethlehem. What we read from Micah. What great thing would come out of Bethlehem. I'm going to go with you, Naomi, back to Bethlehem, back to the house of bread. You see, Jesus' bloodline was nice and colorful so that you and I can find our place in it. These ladies may have, these may be ladies, but guess what? They represent for you and I a culture. It, so it could be seen in your life. There was another lady. She's a little later on, verse 6, and Jesse, the father of David, the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. There's one person unnamed because there's always somebody unnamed. There's always somebody in the sidelines that nobody knows about, but God all along knows you're there. And his watchful eye is on you. And he hasn't forgotten you. You may be the mother of someone. You might be the father of someone, but God has not forgotten you. Oh, no, no. The perfect king has included you in his lineage. And this is none other than Bethsaida, the one who David had an affair with. She's included in the bloodline of Jesus, the wife of Uriah, Solomon, the wife of um, the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. In another word, Solomon's mother was Bethsaida, the one who is not mentioned. Jesus wants you to know today you are in the family of God. How? By his blood. How did that blood come to be? By the shedding of his blood on the cross. He came to be a babe, wrapped in swaddling clothes, but he came to be your perfect 
king. He came to be the solution to your sin-lost life. He came to show you, you have a place in my lineage. I will forever be your shepherd king. Don't you fear. When you walk through the storms, I'll be with you. When the enemy is before you looking in the, in the woods, I will be there to thwart him off. If you wander off, oh, don't you be afraid. I will draw you back. He's there to be your shepherd king but you have to understand that you are a part of his lineage you're engrafted in how when you receive him as your lord and savior when you believe in him that he came not just to be a babe so that we can celebrate christmas so that we can have big meals and have family over and remember family and the good times no he came so that he could be king of your life he came that he could rule and reign within your heart. He came so that you might have life and life more abundantly. He came so that you can have an eternal end, so that you could see the end from the beginning. And the end that we are watching for is the day when he will break through the skies, is the day when he will return. And so when I look to the end, then I have a purpose in walking my life because the end is that my soon coming king is going to return. The the end is he's going to break through the skies. The end is that I could make it there because he is with me while I'm en route there. Because he's a perfect king. He's a perfect king. And he calls us to worship him, to humble ourselves before him, to bow before him, to sing praises of adoration to him because he's the one who came for you, just for you. If he thought it's so important to include a prostitute and a liar and one that got involved in an adulterous affair and one who was willing to leave her people to cling to the people of God, and there's countless other examples. I just tried to choose the ones that maybe would include all of us who feel ugly and tainted. There's a family of God that we can plant ourselves into. There's a family of God that by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ we have been grafted into. Why? Because he's come to, according to 2 Thessalonians 1, seven to nine, to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to, the, to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sadly, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. There's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. The truth of the gospel is, when we don't believe, there is destruction. When we don't believe, we will suffer the punishment of that eternal destruction. And then people say, oh, but then how could God be a God of love? Because he's a just God. And in his justice, he gave you the freedom of choice. And in his justice, he gave you the liberty to receive the true gift that he came to give to you. 
the gift of his son. But justice prevails. And so if you don't receive that which he's given to you freely, then eternal destruction awaits you. That is the sad side, but the very true side. The very true side. But when the king comes again, Revelation says this, Revelation 19, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arraigned in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them by the rod of iron. And he will tread the winepresses of fury with the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, his name has, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the perfect king who is coming for you and I. Are you ready for him? This is the one we celebrate this Christmas. We don't celebrate a babe. We celebrate what the babe came to accomplish. Salvation. Salvation for you and I. My um, aunt was in the hospital some time ago. And uh, she was, is 93 and uh, she, yeah, the band can come on up. And as uh, she's in emergency, each time a doctor would come or a nurse would come, she would say to them, do you know Jesus? <laughs> and, and she did yell. I'm not just exaggerating. Do you know Jesus? Because if you don't, you're going to hell. <laughs> My cousin was so embarrassed. <laughs> she went afterwards and apologized to the nurses, and apologized to the doctors. Because she thought, oh, my mom's being a little bit bold. But no. God was speaking through this woman of 93 years. Do you know Jesus? Because if you don't, you're going to hell. Thursday, she passed away. Yeah. And so there, a funeral awaits for me to attend. Yesterday, I sat at the bedside of my friend. Pastor Dino, Nadia, Josh, we all share the, this friend. And I watched her struggle to breathe. Just like that, just like that, brothers and sisters, she turned. We've been praying for her. God's done miracles in her life, but just like that, Tuesday, the doctor said that we can't do any therapy on you if, you, if we do. You're going to die. Your body won't be able to handle it. And there I sat at her feet yesterday, and she struggled to breathe. We sang. We sang about the goodness of God. 
We sang, He's the God of the mountain and the God of the valley. When things go wrong, He'll make them right. <laughs> and we go for it, sing it. <laughs> we sang the songs. We didn't know what else to do but to sing. While God's daughter was preparing to make her last breath and to breathe her first breath in the eternal presence of the Lord, we sang of the goodness of God. We sang of the ever-present God. And then we read. I opened my scriptures and I says, what would you like me to read for you? And I read from Peter, I read from 2 Peter, but can I just take you there to 1 Peter? And again, it's not in the back room, but that's okay, because they're going to forgive me. And 1 Peter 1 verse 3 said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while you are suffering. <laughs> you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Imagine when she breathed her first breath at 1226 this morning, and she saw the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the truth of her salvation, the fruit. Oh, you will be tested, and you will go through trials. Oh, but the perfect king, the good, good shepherd. He doesn't leave you. You're not alone. He is ever with you. Today I want to ask you, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe he is your Lord? He came to be your savior? Do you believe that he died on the cross? for your sins, that you may be able to say that you are born again to a living hope. Do you have a living hope inside of you today? Does that living hope radiate to all that are around you, that there would be a Ruth beside you saying, don't bid me to go back to my old life. I want to be where you are. I want your people to be my people. I want your God to be my God. This is the perfect king who came to be your savior. This is the one who says that anyone who would come after me and drink from my cup would never thirst again. This 
is the one who is drawing your heart this morning, this Christmas season, this Advent time, to draw yourself to the expectation. There is one who is coming. And as John said, who is greater than I, whose sandals I am not even worthy to tie. Can you bow at his feet this morning? Can you worship this humble king? Forgive me when I started the message, I started in brokenness. But I couldn't help but see the revelation of my friend's salvation as she embraced her Lord as she was welcomed into his presence suffering and trials over looking into the face of hope Hope is here, and he's the perfect king, and he longs to rule and reign in your life today. Can we pray? Father God, I thank you. I thank you for your people. I thank you, Lord, for the deposit of truth that you are wisdom, you are counsel, you are knowledge. Lord, I thank you for the reminder that you came from the root of Jesse so that we could see that you are our humble king. Lord, I pray this morning, would you reveal yourself into the hearts of your people. Lord, to the one today that is on the sideline. To the one today that has to make that decision, oh God, right now their heart is burning within them. Right now, oh God, their heart is longing, but fear has hold of them. Jesus, we call forth those souls this morning that they would look to you and say, Jesus, I want to know you. Be my savior. Forgive me. Forgive me for the prostituting of my life to other gods. Forgiving, forgive me, Lord. Forgiving of myself to the lies of other things. Oh God, be my savior. Forgive me and make me new. I want to encourage anyone here today that if you have not made Jesus Lord of your life, that you would pray that prayer or anything that recognizes him as God and invites him to be king because tragedy is no respecter of person. Sickness is no respecter of person. It could come on anyone's doorstep 